welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Blessing to be here this morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14 as we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew. This message marks the halfway point, in case you're wondering how long we're going to be here. A little bit longer. In the last message, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And this miracle was this radical expression of, of Christ's divinity. And, and he is creator God. And today we're going to look at another of his miracles. In fact, if we really analyze it, there are four miracles wrapped up in this text. And it's one we're very familiar with, Jesus walking on the water, right? We all, you know, if, you're, if you've been around the church for a length of time, you know Jesus walked on the water. Another expression of his divinity. And as I said last time, though we are so familiar with this text, we ought to open ourselves up to allow God to fill us with a wonder of who Christ was. And not just to, not just to listen with calloused and hard hearts, as can happen when we become very familiar with a text like this. Our text picks up right after they collected the 12 baskets of leftovers. Let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we open up your word, Lord, um, and at the same time, I pray, Lord God, that we would open up our hearts and minds that there, Lord, is there something you want to say to each one of us? And, and as someone was praying for me this morning, uh, one of the things they said that, you know, one message has a message, um, a different message for each one of us. That even as we hear the same words from your messenger, Lord, you have a different message you want to say to each one of us. And, and by the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and, the, and the omnipotence and the omniscience of God, you know exactly what we need to hear, Lord, myself included. When we, when we sit and we look at your word and we hear your message, I pray, Lord, that we'd be open wide to whatever it is you want to say, that we would be willing hearers and not just willing hearers, but we would be ready to respond in obedience. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 22 is where we'll begin this morning. Immediately, immediately after they had collected the baskets of leftovers, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. Just remind ourselves the context here. Jesus is, has come to this desolate place so that he can be alone, so that he can pray. 
And he gets there, and then there's multitudes there, and they, you know, and he, he, because he looks at them, has compassion on them, he, he ministers to them, he heals all of their issues and things throughout the day, and they get to the end of the day, there's no food, so he takes five loaves and two fish and multiplies them, feeds the multitudes, and they are blown away by that. What Matthew's gospel doesn't include is the fact that they were ready to take him by force and make him king. And Jesus said, uh, no, not today. So he sends the disciples away, and then he sends the multitudes away, and then he does what he came to this desolate place to do. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening, evening came, he was there alone. So he get, we get a time here, which is important because it's going to be, it's important in the context of the account. It's evening time, so it's probably sun's going down. So six o'clock-ish, maybe, and he goes up on the mountain and starts to pray. Well, while he's up there, he's there by himself, and and we got to pause and just reflect on that for a moment. Jesus, God in the flesh, took time to be by himself and pray. No one had a better, closer, more intimate relationship with God than did, than did he. And he took this time to pray, found it to be valuable. Now, we're going to see in a minute, he prayed a long time. He was there. He, he was, had been there all day. Uh, we imagine that when healing is, if, you know, if he was doing that all day and then feeding the 5,000, you know, that's a lot of stuff going on. And then he pauses. I can tell you, after a day of ministry, you know what I'm ready for? A nap. <laughs> Jesus goes and prays. This could be the one thing that keeps so many believers and churches from being more for Jesus. This, this lack of time alone with God in prayer. Brothers and sisters, it's probably something that if we would truly comprehend, and we talk, actually talked about this yesterday morning in the Bible study, you know, it's not about guilt. It's not about, it's not about you know, you doing more. You know, maybe God wants you to do more, but it's about you allowing God to minister your heart. What does he want you to do? Does he want to spend time with you? Anybody know the answer to that? He does, and, he, and, and, it's, and it's a good thing. It's hard because we have this other problem. We have a flesh that would rather take a nap. Even though Jesus is alone with the Father in prayer, he knows what's going on with the disciples. One of the other texts tells us that we can, he can see them struggling. Verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. So they're out in the middle of the, of the lake, and it's about, it's about 10 miles-ish miles across, and so they're about five miles out, um, relatively speaking. It could be less than that, could be more than that. But they're out there in the middle of the sea, it says, and, and they're struggling. And they've been out there for a while. You know, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter how alone you feel, no matter how desperate your circumstances are, no matter how troubled the things are around you, no matter how rough it's getting around you, 
we need to remind ourselves that Jesus can see us right where we are, right in the midst of what's going on, that no matter what's happening, as alone as we might feel, as desperate we might feel, he can see us. And that's super important because if you can, if you can acknowledge a fact that Jesus can see us and that he loves us enough to die for us, that he's gonna show up at just the right time, just when we need him, now understand something, that doesn't always mean it's gonna be when you want it to be, right? Can we acknowledge that? That sometimes it feels like, Jesus, you should have been here, you know, like the Mary and Martha saying, saying to Jesus after their brother Lazarus died, Jesus, if you had gotten here earlier, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus knows when to get there. He knows exactly when to get there. Verse 25 now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch would be between 3 and 6 a.m. Remember our time? He's on the mount. He goes up on the mount alone to pray about 6 p.m. And now he is, some 9 to 12 hours later, walking on the sea to them. Why didn't Jesus come to them earlier? Did he need to pray all that long? Was he, was he so spiritually exhausted that he needed to spend nine, 12 hours alone with God? Couldn't he have prayed less and come to them earlier in their distress? He could have, but he didn't. No explanation is given as to why. And so we're left to make some assumptions. Not always a safe thing to do. He came when it was time for him to be there. That's so important for us to understand. Jesus gets there when it's time for him to be there. And not a moment before. Jesus knows when we are in the storm. He knows when we are in distress. He knows when we are desperate and alone and, and feeling like, like everything's against us. He knows when we're feeling down. He knows our despair. He knows all of these things. He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows when the darkness feels like it's closing in around us. And he comes to those, comes to us in those times when it is the right time for him to be there. Now, we might feel like he's late, right? Anybody ever felt like God was late? Come on, go ahead and admit it. We've, we've, we've done it. It's never late. He may, not, he, he, may, he may be late for us, but he's never actually late. Remember that Peter and several others in the boat are seasoned fishermen. They've been on this lake a long time, and this is probably not the first storm they've been in. Christ's delay may have been to wait until they got to the end of themselves, until they've exhausted all of their abilities, all of their resources, until they were physically exhausted and were ready to completely yield themselves to him and trust in him completely. Listen, if we retain any thought 
I can handle this, God. I can, I can, I can take this, God. I can get through this. I can do this. I can handle it, God. God may say, okay, go ahead. If you've ever had the joy of teaching a child to ride their bike, you know how it goes. You know, you, you go through that, you start getting the idea of holding and pedaling and balancing and all of that. And there's a point where they say, Daddy, let go. I can do it on my own, right? And, you know, some of them, not all of them. Some of them never let go, right? Okay, those ones you have to really work on. But, you know, I raised a couple of boys. I, I, I spent three minutes with them, teach them how to ride a bike, and they were ready, to let, you know, ready for me to let go. Not literally, but close. We know what's going to happen, right? Do we know what's going to happen? We're going to let go. We eventually will let go. And what's going to happen? Boop, 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 bam. Down they go. See, the thing is that as daddy, I know they're going to fall. I already know that. But they don't. I think, I believe I can do it. And what God says, okay, go ahead. And so I believe a lot of times when God seems to be delaying, that there may be an aspect of him waiting for you to trust him enough to let him help you. God is always there. Daddy, let's go. Long before the child knows that they can do it themselves. And they may believe it, but they don't know it. And until they've experienced the fall, experienced the desperation, experienced the pain, experienced whatever that it is, they may not learn that they, how desperately they need their daddy. Jesus is sovereign. He is Lord over creation. He is, he is God in the flesh. He has total control over his, over his creation. And he decides he's going to walk to the disciples out there on the lake and he can command the water to be as solid as a concrete sidewalk. That's kind of cool, right? Shouldn't we not marvel at that? With man, that's impossible, right? That's impossible. I came across a video at one of the, dumb things I ended up watching at some point during this week because they, they pop up of this guy trying to figure out, you know, all the different ways to walk on water, right? It was never walking on water. It was always walking on something on water. And so he never actually was walking on water, but, you know, he never actually got very far either. So it, it proved very clearly, nope, still can't do it. No matter how cool you think you are, no matter how many followers you've got on, you know, Instabook, But for creator God, it's no big deal. It's no harder than us walking down this aisle right here. He just willed it. Listen, the storm may rage around us. It will. If you're not in a storm today, say hallelujah. Hallelujah, not in a storm right in this moment. But watch out. There could be one coming. And you got to remind yourself, we got to teach ourselves when we're not in a storm, we need to teach ourselves that no matter what storm comes, Jesus will be in it somewhere. He'll be there. We may not see him. And whatever the storm is, it's not that big of a deal for him. He can walk right through it. We can't, but he can. 
no matter how boisterous the wind and the waves are. Verse 26, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, we got to put ourselves in the disciples' place here. They're, they've, been, they've been in the boat all night, fighting the wind and the waves. They're soaked. They're exhausted. They're desperate. It's not going well. They're in the middle of the lake. They've been there all night, and we're only halfway. What would you have thought if you were in their place and then off in the distance, in the dark, in the wind, in the waves, you see this shadowy figure walking towards you. What are you going to think? Oh, there's Jesus. Right. No, you won't. You'll be just like them. I don't know what that is, but I'm a little terrified of it. They weren't looking for Jesus. They weren't looking for Jesus in the middle of that storm. All they had was themselves. They had been doing everything they could to get to where they were, and it wasn't going well. The lesson for us is we need to always be watching for Jesus. No matter what storm might come, we need to be looking for Jesus in it. Because you know what? He's there somewhere. You may not be able to spot him. You might not even recognize him when you see him. But he's there. As usual, Peter is the first one to act, verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. First miracle was Jesus walking on all water. Second miracle is Peter walking on water. All Peter had to go on was one thing. Come. Jesus said, come. He, he, he had never seen anyone walk on water before Christ did it in front of him. He'd never seen that, never experienced, never even heard of it. It never happened before. But Jesus said, Come. He had never walked on water, right? He'd, he'd rode on water, he'd swam in water, he'd, you know, he'd been around water, but he'd never walked on it. He knew everything there was to know about water, and you don't walk on water. Yet Jesus said, come, and he went. Real faith is moving, responding, acting upon the bare word of God. When all you have is the word of God, Real faith says, yes, I will. Faith is hearing the command to come and believing that it is God's will that you respond. Not only that you believe that it is God's will, that it is a command of God, but that he expects you to obey. Not only does he expect you to obey, but because he expects you to obey, he will equip you to obey. He'll make it possible for you to obey. That's what's happened with Peter. Peter looked at Jesus. Jesus says it is I. and says, well, if it's you, then Lord, call me to come out. Jesus said, come. That's all he had was the bare word of God. 
okay, Jesus told me to come. I'm going. He believed. And he believed that if, if this was Jesus and if he really wanted him to walk on water, he was going to walk on water. And you know what? He walked on water. You know, it's one thing for Jesus to walk on water, right? He's God. Okay, I get that. It's a completely different thing when he empowers one of his people to do what previously only he could do. Oh, wow. Do you get the message in that? If God calls you to do it, doesn't matter what anybody else has done. Doesn't matter what anybody else is saying. Doesn't matter what else you think might be possible. If God says do it, and you know it's him, and you know because he is God, because he's called you to do it, he will equip you to do it, then just go do it. Because you can. Peter was able to do this mighty miracle because Jesus was there with him. You know, I often think about things like this, kind of odd thoughts pop into my mind, and what were the other 11 doing? What were they thinking as they saw Peter walking on the water? I'm like, like I don't know what I would be thinking. Jesus, call me too. I want to go do it too. Maybe, I don't know what. I don't know what they were thinking. They were probably pretty weirded out by it too. Listen, if Jesus hadn't have been there, I can absolutely promise you, Peter would not have stepped out of that boat. Right? We acknowledge that. Peter's doing really well, right? He's walking on water until, verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Maybe the shortest prayer in the Bible. And we sometimes give Peter a hard time because, you know, he, he showed a weak faith in this moment. Keep in mind that he holds the record for the second longest walk on water. You can give him all the grief you want, but you know, until you can match his record, you might want to keep it to yourself. But here what we see here is the power of unbelief. The power of unbelief. Peter believed God was calling him to do something that was impossible. He believed it. He believed it so much that he stepped out of the boat and started walking. When we choose to believe God, we can do anything he calls us to. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter if it's impossible. If he calls us to do it, we can do it because if we act in faith, he will respond by empowering us to do the very thing that is impossible for us to do. And that's where faith comes in because faith says, okay, this is impossible. I can't do it, but God can make me do it. God can enable me to do it. God can empower me to do it. Even though I can't, God can. And so I do what I know is impossible because I know God is the one who's going to make it possible. When we choose not to believe God, even after we know what he said, we know what he told us, we know what he promised us, when we choose not to believe him, even those things that we should be able to do become hard, become difficult. And the impossible, well, they are still impossible. It's a picture of a battle that all believers engage in in their lives. 
And we see it described to us in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. The flesh is that part of us that seeks its own way, seeks its own pleasure, seeks its own things. It cares about itself, seeks to please self. The Spirit is that part of us that was made alive when we received Christ and, and now seeks to please God. And, and, but the flesh is still there. The flesh is still there. When you got saved, the flesh was just as strong after you got saved as it was when you, before you got saved. But this battle begins now between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit says yes, the, and the flesh says no, or the, or the flesh says yes to things it shouldn't say yes to, and the spirit says no, and there's this battle going on. And there's a picture of it right here in this text And we choose not to believe, choose to doubt, choose to question. It's because the flesh is stronger in that moment than our spirit. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus speaking to, to the disciples, and Peter was one of them. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. And he's saying weak here. It's not weak in the, the, in the, the aspect that it doesn't have its own way because it gets its way too, far too often. It's weak in the things of God. Peter's spirit believed Christ. How do we know that? Because he was walking on water. That's how we know he believed. Peter's flesh looked at the boisterous waves and said, I can't do this. Spirit said yes. The flesh said no. And in that moment, which one won? The flesh. How do we know that? Because Peter started to sink. Peter trusted. He chose to trust his flesh in that moment. Even though he knew. He knew. How did he know that he, was, that he could walk on water? He was walking on water. I mean, that's as, good, that's as clear a sign as I need, I think, because I would do it totally different than Peter in that, in that instance. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Probably, maybe not. But he trusted in his flesh in that moment. And it resulted in a spiritual failure, which led to a sinking. As long as we're wrapped up in this flesh, and we will be, until Jesus comes and gets us, either through the end of our life or through the rapture, one of those two. Um, you know which one I'm praying for. Kelly will tell you, I don't know, I think he's praying for the, you know, the end of life thing because he wants to live to be 120. No, I'd rather have the rapture. This battle is going to be real. It's going to be every day. We're going to find ourselves having to make that choice between the flesh and the spirit every single day, choice after choice after choice. Every choice you come to includes an element of that. Listen, the flesh does not trust God. Can't. It only trusts in itself. The spirit does trust God. 
But the Spirit only trusts God to the degree that we know him. The better we know God, the better able we are to trust him. That's why, you know, we keep, we keep nagging you. What, what do we nag you about all the time? Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Do you know why I want you to do that? Because that's what God gave us so that we could know him. He gave us his word. He gave us his spirit. We take the word of God. We put it inside of us. The spirit breathes life to it. That life grows our spirit, strengthens our spirit, makes our spirit strong. So when then we have to deal with the, this dumb flesh, the spirit is stronger. The spirit, the spirit is able to tell the flesh to be still, to be quiet, to shut up. We must know him better. Very often when we have moral failures or, or just struggle with fear or anxiety or worry or anger or whatever emotions are rattling around with us, in us, the, the, the problem is not the circumstances. The problem is our knowledge of God. We don't know God well enough to not be afraid. We don't know God well enough to not be angry. We don't know God well enough to not be resentful. And if we knew God better, we'd be able to tell the flesh, no, I'm not afraid of that. Why? Because I trust God. When a pastor or some person tells you to trust God, don't argue with him because he's telling you the truth. Every single thing we struggle with in life is a question, is a, is a call to trust God more. Tell me, you need to trust God more. I trust God. Okay. Okay, Kelly. No, I'd never tell her that. She's telling me that. The better we know God, the more our spirit will trust God, even when he calls us to do the impossible. And many of those things that we talk about, I don't have this in my notes, so I'm gonna wing it here. When he calls us to do the impossible, it's not things like walking on water. That's not what he's telling us. When he tells me to do the impossible, okay, I'm not gonna start with this one because I'm gonna start with loving your wife because that's not, the, that's not that impossible. How about forgiveness? When that person offends you or hurts you and you say in your heart, I, I can't forgive him, what are you saying? You're, you're telling God that that's impossible. But God said to do it. What do I need to do? I need to trust him. How do I trust him? I get to know him better. The better I know him, the better, easier it is for me to trust him enough to do what he says is impossible. How do you love your enemies? You trust God. You believe God. And you just do it. Verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? As soon as Peter turns his eyes to Jesus, back to Jesus, what happens? Jesus saves him. It says immediately, right now. He gives Peter a mild rebuke and refers to little faith. And I think, I think one of the things we kind of wrestle with in a situation like this, in a text like this, is to, you know, to question whether or not he had faith at all. He had faith. Obviously, he had faith. He was walking on water. So we know he had faith. 
But Jesus is calling him out that his faith ought to be stronger than that. And very often when we stumble in our, in our faith, we stumble and in, 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 in we fall in some way, spiritual failure of some port, doesn't have to be huge, can be very small, just you know, those moments of being frustrated when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, you know, and gosh, I know that never happens to any of us, you know, something happens like that, somebody, somebody says something obnoxious, you know, on social media, and you get, you get frustrated or angry or whatever, you know, when, we, when those things happen, we ought to, we ought to recognize that's, that's a sign to us. How, is that how Jesus would feel about that? Would Jesus be angry about that? That person didn't put their shopping cart away? I watched them empty out their shopping cart and just, just leave it there. Come on. That's not right. Jesus wouldn't do that. I'm, I'm calling down fire and brimstone right now. No, Jesus wouldn't do that. If, if Peter had trusted Jesus. He would have walked all the way out there to Jesus, and then what would he have done? Walked with Jesus all the way to the boat. Verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. That's miracle number three. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. There, right there is the first time the disciples say that. It's the third time we've heard it in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. But the first time the disciples have said it, they're recognizing who he is. They don't fully understand it yet. They're kind of, they're kind of blown away by this, by this man, they were, that, that man who can, who can do all these amazing things, but they're getting a clearer picture of who he is. And they worship him. And that's the right response. Anytime, anytime we have an encounter with God, an encounter with Christ, an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it ought to respond, we ought to respond with worship. Worship and adoration, maybe confession, maybe repentance, whatever the Spirit is leading us to do, whenever we have those moments, we realize we have an aha God moment, we ought to acknowledge that in praise, worship, humility. Verse 34. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Now, one of the other gospels said that they were immediately there. That's miracle number four. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Oh, that's an amazing thing. You know, Jesus is getting famous. He wasn't trying to be famous, but he was getting famous. Everybody in the area knew who he was. They knew what he did. They primarily focused on the miracles. And the main miracle that most of them recognized and realized and experienced was healing. And so when they hear Jesus around, they bring all of their sick, all of their weak, all of their maimed, and they bring them to Jesus. And they says all they had to do was touch the hem of his garment. That is faith. How many, I always think about things like this, how many heard about Jesus? 
heard, hey, Jesus is back, and if you go to him, he can heal you. How many heard that? And either didn't go or didn't reach out and touch the hem of his garment. How many of them went away without healing? Now, this could, this could describe many in the world today, maybe even some in the church. They come and hear messages. They experience God's love through God's people. They come with hurts. They come with different things that they need Jesus to heal. It could be relationships. could be wrong thoughts. It could be a bondage to some kind of a sin. It, it could be any number of things. And they come and they hear a message and they hear that Jesus heals. Jesus re delivers. Jesus makes whole. Jesus does this. Jesus does that. And all you have to do is reach out in faith and touch him. It's all you have to do. How many don't? I can tell you it's a lot. There may be even some here today. Jesus wants to do something in you. And you know it. But the only way it's going to happen is you have to reach out in faith and touch him. Come within inches of freedom, inches of deliverance, inches of healing, and then go away, unchanged, unfazed. Let it not be so here. It only takes the tiniest amount of faith to make you whole. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we come... And we pray, Lord God, as we have taken this time to get into your word, and, and we're going to take a moment now and, and participate in communion. We're going to approach your table, Lord God. And Lord, as we have heard, Lord, you, you, you did what was impossible. You walked on the water so that you could be with the disciples. It was your presence there that enabled Peter to do what was impossible and the same thing is true with each of us. It's your presence in our lives. It's your presence in and around us in the, in the storms, in the situations, the circumstances of our life that enables us to do what is impossible without you. But Lord, we must have faith. We must believe. We must believe that you are calling us to come out, to come, to do, to act, to believe, to forgive, to uh, something. You're calling us to do something. We have to believe that you are, you are calling us. That is the truth, the truth that we're gonna stand upon based upon your word. And then we're gonna believe that by your Holy Spirit, you're gonna empower us to do it. Only then is it possible. And so I pray, if, we're, if anyone is here today, before we partake of communion, that you would do that that work in their heart to help them to see, is there anything, is there anyone that they have chosen not to forgive? Is there anyone that they're still holding on to resentment? Is there anyone that, that they're just struggling with, a, a broken relationship, a, a sin that has been committed either to them or by them? That, Lord, you're calling them to let it go. You're calling them to do something. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see it clearly, that we should do all that is possible 
for us, for our, to us to, to cleanse our own hearts through coming to you and asking you to do it before we approach your table, that we should be as pure as, 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 we, as we possibly can be. No one is absolutely pure, but we ought to do our best. And so I pray, as Troy prepares to come up and to share with us, I pray you'd be preparing our hearts to speak to us during this time of communion. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who has not, has not has heard the messages and maybe they have come so close, but they have yet to reach out in faith and believe, Jesus, that you died for their sins, that today is the day that you would call them to take hold of you, Jesus, to believe that you did die for them and that your death cleanses them of all their sins and enables them to walk in a way that is right and true with you. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to make that transition, to, to, to take that last step and simply believe. Thank you, Lord, for this day. And we ask for your blessing over this time of communion. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.